Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we're going to be continuing our Disney Decade series. We're up to the 2000s. So we can, this is our penultimate one, because we can do 2010, and then it's another nine years until we can get the 2020s done. Yeah, wow. We've gone from the 20s, so we've done all the way from the 20s 1920s now. 1920s up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's been a long ride. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. It is. So getting into some Disney news, though, uh, last week we talked a lot about the changes at Walt Disney World with the Magical Express going away and Disneyland with them canceling the annual passes. One thing I forgot to mention was that extra magic hours are going away as well at Disney World. So they currently have not been going on uh, since the parks reopened last July, but they are officially going away altogether and they're being replaced by 30 minute early access every day at every park for on-site guests. So you're no longer going to have extra hours at night, extra hours in the morning, varying by the parks. A lot of people I think were upset about this and, and again, kind of talked about this, that this is just another reason not to stay on property. I actually don't mind this as much because the extra magic hours are always so sporadic and random anyways. And I think a lot of people's thoughts was, oh, I really like staying late at night. I actually think this allows them to keep the parks open longer for everyone because now you don't have to worry about, oh, well, I need the Magic Kingdom open three hours longer this day. I almost think they can have longer park hours. I do think this is setting up, though, for more after-hours hard-ticketed events because that's an easy way for Disney to make money. Uh They don't have to worry about any of the parks being open longer for extra magic hours. Like if, if magic Disney after dark, yeah. Oh, that would be cool. They should steal that from me. Yeah. That's actually, that's what they call it very often already. So darn. Uh, that's why see, see, we don't know everything. Well, I don't know minds. everything. Disney Joe, Joe knows a lot, but yeah, but I think, you know, you, you look at it, you know, if magic kingdom is staying open with extra magic hours until 11, 12 o'clock at night, they can't do an after hours event. So if now the parks just always close at nine, they can easily do more extra extra magic hours. I do think that extra 30 minutes though also helps spread out the park, you know, with, with the park pass system, it's harder to, you know, w- w- you feel bad if you had a park pass reservation for magic kingdom. And then you found out animal kingdom has early morning magic for three hours, you know, mm-hmm. because then, then you'd be trying to change. So I think it kind of levels the playing field to the extent and gives a little bit of staying on site, I will say they're basically doing this already. We talked about this on our last trip. Basically, every park opened a half an hour, 45 minutes early anyways. Yes. So I think they're kind of just formalizing this. I will say, though, I like those extra hours that they didn't announce because then people didn't like the crowds to get in weren't that big. And we got a lot of riding done. So, yeah, I mean, them formalizing it. I'm wondering. I mean, I don't think people in general like to get up early in the morning anyway. So I don't think it's really going to harm the low crowd situation that we had going on. Um, But yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I definitely recommend, I mean, I know that a lot of people like to stay out late and see the shows, but I definitely would recommend uh, going early if you can. Yeah, because that half an hour can make a big difference in terms of wait times. And we talked about that, the Magic Kingdom. We read four or five rides in the half an hour before the park even officially opened when most of the stuff was walk on. I mean, five right. to 10 minute waits. And then and after, they were like the most popular rides. Right. We rode like every mountain except for space, I think, in right. that amount of time. Exactly. So, yeah. And then another piece of Disney news the Festival of the Lion King is coming back to the Animal Kingdom. Which yes. So this is exciting. Some some uh, shows coming back. Yeah. It bodes well for, you know, things starting to kind of 
return to a new normal. You know, I don't want to say normal, but yeah, it's exciting. They've announced it, but they haven't released a date yet. So um, still nothing definitive, but it is good to hear that they are kind of moving toward a little bit more normalcy. Yeah, and they did mention that it's not going to open, I think, you know, full capacity. They did say there will be measures in place for social distancing. The show will be slightly modified to kind of accommodate for some of the COVID restrictions. So things will be a little bit different. I mean, that that was a pretty packed show, very interactive with all of the, you know, entertainers and actors. So I think some things will be modified. But yeah, this is a step in the right direction, I think getting back to, again, that more normal with more entertainment in the parks. I think the next step is probably nighttime shows with, I would imagine Harmonious is probably going to kick that off at Epcot. They're, mm. they're slowly installing those barges. So, you know, I, I think as the vaccine becomes more prevalent, Disney gets more comfortable, you know, having these type of events. Again, we'll kind of slowly get back to that new normal, like you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. Disney also announced that all five seasons of The Muppet Show are coming to Disney Plus on February 19th. Yeah. So the, the Muppets Twitter account or Facebook or something tweeted, you know, stay tuned for big news. And a lot of people thought this was going to be that the Muppets were coming to the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> you know, we had talked about rumors that Disney was looking to overhaul the Hall of Presidents. So it's not something they have to constantly change out every time a new president is elected. And so it kind of maybe made sense that maybe they're going to be doing something with the Muppets, but that doesn't seem to be the case. They actually did announce the Hall of Presidents is closed for re refurbishment. They'll be adding a, a Joe Biden animatronic in there um, since he was inaugurated this past week. But yeah, so the Muppet show is going to be on, on Disney Plus all five seasons. So I know a lot of people are excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be really fun and I would definitely enjoy kind of going back and starting from the beginning because I'm, I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie the Muppets is one of my holes in Disney knowledge I do not know much about the Muppets haven't really watched a lot of the Muppets so I'm interested in kind of getting more well-versed in that yeah me, me too I mean I think we both enjoyed the Muppet Vision 3D show right. like hey we need to kind of watch some more of the Muppet stuff yeah, I think that it has a really cool like sense of humor, kind of tongue-in-cheek. Um, so I think that it's something that I would definitely enjoy. Definitely. Then a few pieces of housekeeping news. So next week is going to be our interview with Tony Bancroft. So that will be dropping next Monday. Boomba guy. It is available on our Patreon. So if you'd like early access to that interview, and we put all of our interviews up early on our Patreon, head over to our Patreon page, Enchanted Ears. Uh, and consider supporting us there to get some early access to those interview episodes. And then we also have a giveaway going on over on our Facebook page. So we've teamed up with Expedition Roasters who do theme park inspired coffee flavors. They have the funniest, coolest names and really cool packaging. Yeah. So so we've teamed up with them. So the giveaway is you get a, a bag of coffee flavor of your choice. And then we have a 16 ounce Disney tumbler. So all you need to do is leave a review on the show on Apple Podcast, take a screenshot of that review and post it in the comments section of the post over on our Facebook page. And we're Enchanted Ears on Facebook. And that's going to run through February 13th. So uh, it's an easy way to support the show. It's also an easy way to potentially win some free coffee and a, and a Disney coffee tumbler. So, and if you're interested in trying out Expedition Roasters for yourself, we actually have 15% uh, off your order if you use code Enchanted on their website. Ooh. All right, so we're going to be jumping into our main topic this week. Again, we're going to be discussing the 2000s, so, so that decade. So I, I will say, you know, the 90s, we, we touched on 
was kind of this big expansion of Disney. We had the Disney Renaissance. Uh, you know, the 80s, we had a lot of kind of boardroom battles. The 2000s is kind of a, a turn. I think it's a mixed bag. Yeah, it, it is. And and really, you know, kind of starting off, what impacted Disney is what impacted a, all of America. And, you know, the world to an extent was September 11th. So, right. so 2001, I mean, obviously a you know, very sad time in American history. I mean, we were like 12 or 13 years old at the time. Yeah, we were in seventh grade. Yeah, so I mean, I I remember that day vividly. Me too. I I mean, I think we were old enough to kind of understand what was going on, but not fully. Um, I was frightened. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think I fully grasped the kind of severity of it, of what was happening. I mean, I kind of had, you know, some idea, definitely knew, you know, something major had happened. Again, didn't, I don't think fully understood the ramifications of it, but that was a huge, you know, thing at, at the start of of the decade for the 2000s, and it impacted. I, I mean, everybody kind of remembers that people were afraid to fly, people were afraid to travel. Yes, and it's kind of like we see now with coronavirus. I mean, whenever people don't want to travel, Disney takes a hit, you know, and right. so their their theme parks took a hit, and that kind of played a lot into the the company. It is really interesting, you know, looking back at kind of what we've done with the Disney Decades series, it is cool to see how, you know, the company and what's going on in the company reflects what's going on in history. So I I do, I have appreciated that, you know, with this, with the 9-11. And then I know that another big one was, you know, during World War II when Disney was making like the war films. Uh, It is really interesting to see how the companies, uh, I'm sure if you looked at other companies as well, how they kind of have to pivot just like again you know a lot of us have had to pivot with the coronavirus even in the 90s i mean the 90s was kind of an expansionary era for the united states as a whole i mean people were kind of getting more discretionary income you know there was a lot more in terms of technology and and things and you know disney was expanding at that time too they they kind of weren't this go-to destination travel empire Mm -hmm. even in the 80s i mean in the early 80s, they had Epcot and, and Magic Kingdom. That was it. It wasn't until 89, they had Hollywood Studios. You MGM. Know, 98, 99, they got Animal Kingdom. So, you know, we talked about Eisner kind of building all the hotels in the 90s. So, yeah, it was this it was this huge expansion era. And then, yeah, they kind of hit this roadblock in the 2000s. And we'll kind of start with the theme parks because, again, this kind of plays through what happened to an extent. Because you had the theme park slowing down. Um, so, you know, we talked about, you know, again, right at the end of the 90s, Animal Kingdom opened. In 2003, Pop Century opened. And the, so this, they had the classic years, the 50s through the 90s. And it was actually planned, Art of Animation was planned to be a sister hotel to Pop Century. So that was meant to be the legendary years of the 1900s to the 1950s. And again, because of the slowdown in tourism, that got scrapped, and then eventually it became Art of Animation and I think, like, 2012. I, I will say that I'm kind of great. I, I'm sure they would have done a great job with the second pop century, but I really enjoy Art of Animation and the theming in there. So I'm glad that they went in a different direction. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I do like Art of Animation better than than Pop Century. But that's why, you know, a lot of people wonder why those two are together on that Hourglass Lake right there because they're mm-hmm. completely different. They originally weren't supposed to be. They were supposed to both be Pop Century and just kind of two different halves of, of the same resort. But but if you look at attendance, so if you look at the Magic Kingdom, in 2000 they had 15.4 million, in 2001 14.7, and then in 2002 2003 right around 14 uh, in 2004 it picked back up a little bit to 15 million but so you can see that they they kind of dropped their attendance really wasn't growing and if you look at Disneyland kind of same thing 13.9 million in 2000 2001 drops to 12.3 million and then they stay right around uh, just a little under just a little over 13 million for 2002 to 2004 so again their attendance dropped it was kind of flat and so Disney was trying a lot of things They actually ran the Disney year of a million dreams. And we kind of heard about this. I think Len mentioned it. I think it. Len was talking about this as one of the best promotional things that Disney has ever done. Right. Check out our interview with Len Testa. <laughs> this actually ran from October 1st, 2006, and it ran a little over a year uh, to December 2008. And this was, uh, again, a way to kind of drum up attendance and guests could just randomly win prizes. So a lot of it was just like free fast passes, but they did give away a night in Cinderella Castle, yeah, um, which is which is pretty awesome. And so again, it was a way to boost attendance, and it did work because if you look at 2006, uh, 2007, 2008, uh, by the end of 2008, Magic Kingdom's up to 17 million uh, in attendance, and Disneyland is up to just shy of 15 million. It helped boost attendance back up. And, you know, now, I mean, Magic Kingdom's getting 20 million people, you know, a year. It was something they needed to do in the mid 2000s. But definitely, it, it, again, it was all because of kind of that early 2000s. You had that drop off in attendance. Um, kind of also with the theme parks, Disney closed River Country in 2001, uh, their, their water park. And then it officially closed in 2005. But we also got the opening of Tokyo Disney Sea. So that was kind of the one bright spot. In the theme parks, it, Disney Sea opened actually a week before September 11th. So it opened September 4th, 2001, over in Tokyo. But it had 10 million guests within the first like 300 days, Whoa. which is a record for the quickest to uh, 10 million guests ever. I, that's not at all surprising, though, because you figure they probably got some guests there and they were like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Like the theming of this park is incredible. And then more people came. Yeah, and you also have to figure, you know, in Japan, they're not going to be as impacted by what happened in America, right. you know, it, it, as much. Uh, and not to mention, I mean, I think a lot of visitors that come to Disney World, a lot of them are coming from like Asian countries. So instead of coming to America, which isn't as safe, they feel, you know, they felt in September 2001, which I would feel that same way too. That you, you hop over to Japan and you go to the new park. Yeah, it actually is really interesting because... Uh, the Japanese theme parks, so uh, Tokyo Disneyland, Disney Sea, even uh, Universal in Japan, they are some of the top visited theme parks every year. So you have Walt Disney World, you know, Magic Kingdom's number one, Disneyland's number two, but then like three, four, five is Tokyo Disneyland, Tokyo Disney Sea, you know, Universal uh, Japan is actually way bigger than Universal Studios in even. Florida or California. So they get a lot of people going to those theme parks every year. So it's not a surprise. It did really well. 
Hong Kong Disneyland also opened in 2005. That only had 5.2 million guests in the first year. And I was actually looking at the attendance. It actually has pretty low attendance. I think that's a smaller park, but it seems like not a lot of people go there, um, which is interesting. You, you don't think of a Disney park only getting you know five to maybe seven million people a year, um, but it, it's kind of on the same level as you know like what what Epcot was, you know, maybe like that, that 10 million is the tops, which is kind of low for a, a Disneyland park. Yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. So the theme parks kind of weren't doing well. And then you couple that with the end of the Disney Renaissance. Uh, so the Disney Renaissance ended and, you know, Disney still had some movies do well at the box office. So dinosaur opened uh, May 19th, 2000 actually did $350 million at the box office. Um, which is impressive because you really don't hear about that movie, you know, very much anymore. No. Um, the ride in Animal Kingdom is is themed to it. They actually changed the theming. It originally opened in 1998 as Countdown to Extinction, but they changed it to tie in and to promote the movie. Um, and the movie ended up doing very well. But then you had some other ones like Emperor's New Groove that only did 169 million dollars at the box office. Atlantis only did 186 million dollars at the box office. Um, those came out in 2000, 2001, you know, brother bear came out in 2003, didn't really set the world on fire. And I think, Great movie. yeah, I mean, the, and that's the thing, like, <laughs> I, yeah, I was gonna you're say, talking about to... this of like, these are all pretty good movies still. Why yeah. doesn't people kind of include them in the Renaissance? Yeah. I, that, so I was wondering about this and unfortunately I could not like, you know, scouring the internet a little bit, trying to find what exactly was it? that deemed those movies from the 90s the renaissance movies and then once we basically got to the 2000s they are not anymore so as far as i could tell kind of from different various websites that i read it was deemed the end because and again these are kind of like hearsay they're not like definitive you know they lack a heroine a lot of those movies do have a, a main female character at least even if they're not the main character um, who is a heroine in the movie there's less success at the box office yeah, and I think really, you know, those Renaissance movies were based on like classic fairy tales, right? Right, and, and more they had like more musical elements to them as well. Whereas, you know, a lot of these movies, again, while they were solid movies, they were kind of I think more more original stories. They didn't have the musical element to them, like you said, maybe not as, as strong female characters. Also, another interesting thing that I found on Den of Geek was that they actually suggested that it ended because the the materials they were choosing weren't compatible with the Disney brand. And they actually suggested that even it really started, that Renaissance started to die after the Lion King with like the hunchback of Notre Dame and Pocahontas, because they were basically saying those were kind of, you know, a little bit, the stories are, are heavy stories and um, kind of Disney tried to change them to make them go with the Disney brand. But overall, like thematically, they are, there are a lot heavier stories. You bring up a good point though, where there's not really strong female characters in this. So, you know, if you look at these movies like Dinosaur, Emperor's New Group, Atlantis, there's not really a a memorable Disney princess that they're really able to market. Yeah. In this. I, I mean, I would say though that Kita is actually a really, and this is from Atlantis. She is actually a really interesting character. And I think that they could have definitely done more with her. Um, than they ended up doing. So I'm not really sure what they were thinking there. It just maybe is because the movie wasn't as successful. As yeah. And, and, and again, really, there, there's no merch. And, you know, if you look at Disney, I mean, they are really run by merchandise sales yeah. and princesses in particular. I mean, princesses are what really drive in the parks, which really drive merchandise. And, right. you know, I mean, that's 
as much as they, you know, with Marvel and everything, they kind of run more of the gamut. I mean, definitely in the 90s and 2000s, like young girls, princesses was definitely kind of the driving force behind Disney. I mean, I don't think that that's too out there to say that. So, you know, if you look at these movies, yeah, I feel like there's not there wasn't as much merch they could sell or things to push into the park. And I think that's kind of, again, why it goes to, you know, people say that the end of the Renaissance, not as critically acclaimed. There's not movies and soundtracks that people remember as much. But to your point, I mean, all of these movies are beloved. I mean, you talk about Atlantis. I've heard people talk about that. Emperor's New Groove is a great movie. You know, <laughs> Dinosaur has an attraction. It's it's the only one of these that actually has an attraction in the parks. Right, um, right. Even though I don't think a lot of people may even recognize that. And that was the fifth highest grossing movie of 2000. Right. But right now, we're kind of leaving out intentionally one of the more successful movies from the early 2000s. So Lilo and Stitch came out in on June 21st, 2002, and did $273 million at the box office. Now, that's not really setting the world on fire, but... Yeah, I want to talk about, about Stitch for a minute. So, so Stitch actually was kind of a highlight in this era. Uh, it had an 86% certified fresh Rotten Tomatoes score, and... I will admit I have not seen Lilo and Stitch, but, but there is there is so much Stitch stuff in the parks, and I never really kind of understood why, and we went to Japan, and Stitch is huge in J- Japan, and I never really got it because I always thought, again, it, it wasn't part of kind of like that Disney renaissance. It was in the 2000s when a lot of people thought, okay, the movies weren't as good. They weren't doing as well. So why is Stitch so popular? But in looking this up, it makes more sense because Stitch was probably the most popular animated movie of that time. And it was really popular over in Asia. So I think that's why it makes sense in Japan, but they had multiple sequels and TV shows. I feel like Stitch was even, I'm not sure that baby Yoda is getting as much attention this year as he got last year. I feel like Stitch is his times baby Yoda. Like I think people really latched onto him and I still see like some of my students love Stitch, even now, and that movie came out, you know, far before they were born. So there was Stitch, the movie, which was a direct-to-video animated sequel, which came out in 2003. There was a TV series called Lilo and Stitch the Series, which ran from 2003 to 2006. There was another sequel uh, that was direct-to-video, Stitch Has a Glitch. (laughs) And then there was a TV finale, too, called Leroy and Stitch, which concluded the original Hawaiian storyline of Stitch. And that came out in 2006. But then there was a Stitch anime series, uh, which ran for a few years in Japan and also had two TV specials. And that didn't have Lilo in it. Uh, That had another character, Yuna, take the place of Lilo. And it took place in Okinawa. So again... Oh, nice. Good setting. Yeah, so they they had a few years, a couple TV specials. If he met Mr. Miyagi out there. Maybe. Maybe he <laughs> did. Karate Kid Stitch Crossover, I think, would do well. But there's also a, a Chinese animated series that ran for a year. Um, and now there's actually a Japanese comic book called Stitch and the Samurai that came out in January of 2020, and it's fully digital. But so, you know, if you look at that, it makes sense, more sense to me now, why Stitch is so popular, especially over in, in Tokyo, because it, it had a separate series. But it also makes sense why you see Stitch and not Lilo. Because I was always wondering that too. Like, well, how come Lilo is not as popular as Stitch? But it makes more sense because a lot of these sequels and shows and spinoffs 
replace Lilo and it's stitched with different people. So really stitch is kind of the glue that connects everything. So it makes sense why I think he's popular and he's irreverent and kind of funny to your point. He's almost like a Donald duck yeah, type he's character. A, yes, exactly. I was just thinking that and when kind he of said cute, irreverent. like baby Yoda. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that he is, he's really cool. And I, I you know what I'm going to speculate right now. I would not be surprised if in the next guardians of the galaxy movie stitch showed up. Even I would I, be very surprised if that <laughs> happened. I would too. But I mean, I, you know, he has his own, his own car, like his own anime series. That's kind of like a comic book. I, I think that they could maybe shoe, shoehorn him in. He would be great with rocket raccoon. I, I'm, I'm advocating for this. <laughs> I would, I would be very surprised if this happens, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. You know, he sells a lot of merchandise, you know, he, he really doesn't have an attraction. I'm kind of surprised they haven't tried harder to give him a good attraction. They they kind of did that that quick overlay of the alien attraction. We're actually going to be talking about the yes. history of, of the alien, alien encounter. Yeah, uh, in, in a few weeks. But, you know, it was Stitch's, I think, Great Escape. That's all closed now and, and torn apart. Uh, but, yeah, it's interesting they haven't tried to, to do a, a more formal attraction with them. But, yeah, the merch just sounds like crazy you're right he's got that baby yoda cuteness he's got that donald duck personality he yeah it, it makes it makes well, a lot more sense i mean to they me now. essentially shoved like five very cute or i don't know it's not maybe five but like three or four very cute animals together you know he's got like a koala everyone kind of talks about him as like a koala he kind of looks like that but he also has kind of like a dog persona kind of looks like a dog but then he has these giant ears that are either reminiscent of like some sort of hound or even like a bunny rabbit so he definitely and then just gigantic alien eyes so he definitely has a lot of very cute features kind of stolen and piecemealed together kind of like a platypus um so yeah he's designed to capture your heart i would actually love to talk to alex cooper schmidt who was the supervising animator for stitch definitely alex if you're listening you're always welcome on the show <laughs> or, so or anybody knows him <laughs> let, let him know yeah, so so while Disney Animation may have not been setting the world on fire, Disney Live Action was doing well. We got Pirates of the Caribbean, which I cannot believe the first movie came out in 2003. Oh my goodness. That it was that long ago, but it did $654 million in the box office. We had 17, 18 years ago now, uh, and that kind of you know started a franchise. And again, based on an attraction, that, that had to be a risk I, for Disney to do. Hey, we're going to make it based on this pirate ride. It was, but it wasn't because they had the known the known character of Johnny Depp playing Captain Jack Sparrow. Now I will say he, I think he kind of maybe waned a bit in popularity then, but they knew he was a great character actor and they knew they had this awesome character. But the studio was concerned by how he was playing Jack, that they were concerned that audience were going to think like, what is, what is he doing here? Is this really going to connect with the audience? And I think he was pretty adamant about, keeping the character that way making him like keith richards yeah and and it worked obviously but yeah i mean that that was a, a huge risk and, and definitely the start of disney branching out again more into pg-13 more adult I and mean, we, we talked about this in the 80s with ron miller you know wanting to try some different stuff and not just be strictly for kids for disney uh, and then it kind of comes back again in the 2000s where disney does it more successfully yeah and and it it definitely it, it snowballed and of course we all know now it spawned four more movies two of those we actually see in the early 2000s so we see dead man's chest camp came out in 2006 that one did really well uh 1.66 billion 
Um, and then at World's End didn't perform quite as well. Uh, it wasn't, I don't know, as strong of a movie, although I will say it, I think it has two of the strongest scenes in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Uh, and that came out in 2007. And then a, two more movies came out uh, uh, in 2011 and then another, or not two more in 2011, but On Stranger Tides came out in 11 and Dead Men's Tale Tells No Tales in 2017. Yeah, and then we also got the National Treasure movie that came out in 2004. So again, you know, Disney live action was doing well. Pixar was also doing really well at this time. So it wasn't always owned by Disney, though, during the decade. But uh, we'll, we'll touch on that in a minute. But you had Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Cars, Ratatouille, Wally, and Up all came out during the 2000s. All of them did great at the box office cars was the lowest at 462 million i wonder why um finding nemo <laughs> was the top at 940 million so so pixar was doing well pixar did become part of disney uh in this decade disney bought pixar january 24th 2006 for 7.4 billion dollars so you had uh monsters inc finding nemo and incredibles all come out before they had bought uh pixar and then cars, you know, it was done by the time, you know, Disney had purchased them. But, you know, the, the movie's not doing well. The park's not doing well. We kind of get now the second Save Disney campaign. So in the 80s, there was the first one where Roy kind of got rid of Ron Miller and brought in Michael Eisner. And then Eisner and Roy kind of didn't see eye to eye in the early 2000s. Uh, Michael Eisner actually didn't want Roy to be back on the board due to his age. Uh, he was 72 at the time. So Roy resigned in November of 2003 and then started the second Save Disney campaign. He was able to actually get 43% of the shareholders to vote to oppose reelecting Michael Eisner to the board in 2004. And so Eisner eventually resigned September 30th, 2005. And I read that he gave up his golden pass. And I looked this up. And what this is, is this is given to Disney board of directors and Disney legends. So now my dream is to become one of those two. <laughs> because this is a pass that gets you access to all Disney-owned theme parks. Uh, so it's everything but the Tokyo resorts for life. So you can just you have that a card. Is, it, it is like the golden pass. It's like uh, it's like the golden ticket from from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes, it's incredible. And they actually did give away one of these that included Tokyo. It was to it was to a guest. It was for like I don't remember what it was. It was like the one billionth guest or something like that. But because that guest count included Tokyo, Tokyo agreed to be included as part of that golden pass, but most of them don't include Tokyo. But so he gave that up whenever he resigned. But yeah, I think it's amazing that Disney gives those out. And then Bob Iger took over on October 1st and the, in the 2005, quickly bought Pixar because that was a, a pretty well-known spat that Steve Jobs and Michael Eisner were having over continuing to have Disney distribute the Pixar movies. And it looked like that relationship was going to fall apart, which was kind of another reason Michael Eisner fell out of favor to an extent in the 2000s because that wasn't going well. Again, Disney movies weren't weren't doing well. So, and if they're not working together, now they're competition. Exactly. And, you know, Bob Iger, I think very famously said whenever Hong Kong Disney opened, he was at the parade and all of the characters were Toy Story characters. They were all Pixar characters. There wasn't anything from Disney, you know, within the past 20 years. And so he quickly realized 
that they needed Pixar. And I think that's why he, you know, he very quickly purchased them to get them into the fold. And then also in the 2000s, he bought Marvel. So uh, in 2009, they purchased Marvel for $4 billion. So I don't know. I don't know if they got their money's worth out of that one. Say, they made their money's <laughs> back on that in like just Endgame and Infinity War alone. But, you know, the, the back half of the 2000s with these acquisitions, that was kind of Iger's MO, you know, just growing even bigger. And then, you know, we'll see that even more in, in 2010 as they kind of grow. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's really interesting to see Eisner's bookends of how he came in on one Save Disney campaign and then 20 years later, he's out on another Save Disney campaign. And that, you know, Roy, as kind of the last Disney family member actively involved in the company, had a lot of sway. I mean, even, you know, even in his 70s, uh, you know, in the 2000s, still had a lot of sway. You know, he, he uh, unfortunately passed away of stomach cancer uh, in 2009. But he, yeah, he was the last family member to be actively involved in the company. Uh, and, and really with with Eisner and then with getting Bob Iger in there completely changed the company and the course I think of of the Disney history for probably 40 years I mean starting the 80s the 90s you you have never had that expansion I think without Eisner and you know I think he was he had the relationships built with some of the actors that voiced characters and gave those iconic performances in the Disney renaissance like Mushu as uh, Eddie Murphy so, yeah, I mean, he definitely made a lot of great concert contributions. Yeah, and, and I think it was a great asset to the company. And then you had Bob Iger. And, and the, you know, we talked about buying Pixar, buying Marvel, and growing, you know, Disney Plus and the content distribution and just how big Disney is now and everything under the Disney umbrella, I don't think would have happened if he didn't have Iger running. So I think they both really served, you know, great purposes for the Walt Disney Company. And again, it, it kind of goes back to Roy, you know, for both of them. And so it, it is really interesting to kind of see that history. Another couple of things, just, you know, interesting facts about the decade and things kind of going on as well. So in August of 2002, Disney actually looked at purchasing Universal Studios from Vivendi and again, this is because all theme parks weren't doing very well. Vivendi wasn't doing very well. So Disney looked at purchasing Universal Studios. Universal Studios eventually sold to NBC in 2004. But it is interesting to think how the landscape would have been different if Disney had pulled off that purchase in the early 2000s. You would never have gotten Harry Potter yeah, I was and, and say, Star Wars and I everything. I feel like we may have talked about this before about you know what if Disney had gotten them. Um, but Disney and, and Universal are a match made in heaven being so close to each other because they are constantly competing and trying to one it up each other. So if Disney owned all of that, then they don't necessarily have this other team that's trying to produce and trying to attract guests away from Disney. So I think that it's real. it worked out for the better that they didn't acquire universal studios. Another acquisition that occurred in the early two thousands, uh, in 2001, they actually Disney actually purchased Fox Family Worldwide for two point nine billion dollars. Now, this part, okay, what is what do they own? Uh, Power Rangers, which is, was massive at the time, and it's crazy because uh, pa- Power Rangers. If you actually, I, I would highly suggest on Netflix if you have it, 
watch the toys that made us there was a whole show on power rangers and they are going to do a much better job of explaining this than me but power rangers was a cash cow it had so much it sold so much in merchandise and everything and it's crazy to think that disney actually owned them from 2001 until 2010 when they sold them back to Hayam saban for a hundred million dollars so that whole time disney owned them yeah, that is pretty interesting to think that they owned the Power Rangers for a brief time. And then Fox Family is what eventually became ABC Family, right. now Freeform. So so that was a, the television network there. So yeah, some some interesting things that happened and could have potentially happened, uh, you know, again, in the 2000s. Just to kind of close this out, we got a lot of big Disney legends. So a lot of people got that golden pass in the 2000s. <laughs> so uh, Alan Menken uh, in 2001, Phil Collins. Uh, and actually, Tim Rice. And Tim Rice, 2002. Uh, Lillian Disney in 2003. Bob Gurr, the Imagineer, 2004. Elton John, 2006. And Betty White, uh, she's a Disney legend. Uh, yes. Don Iwerks and Robin Williams, all in 2009. This list actually sh- is a little shocking to me because Phil Collins got his Disney Golden Pass be- far before, four years before Elton John did when The Lion King came out in 94 and i believe tarzan was 99 so uh, i'm i feel and tim rice also got the same year that phil collins did so i feel like elton john got a little snubbed there for a while but i mean they made it right eventually definitely so that wraps up the the 2000s so again we'll uh wrap up this kind of whole series and with the 2010s uh, coming up shortly if you want to hear the previous decades starting from like we said the 1920s when the disney company started all the way through the 2000s now. Be sure to go back and check out those episodes as well. I want to thank everybody again for listening as always. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.